Chapter 12 of There's Laughter in the Air, Radio's Top Comedians and Their Best Shows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Dorr. There's Laughter in the Air, Radio's Top Comedians and Their Best Shows by Jack Gaver and Dave Stanley. Chapter 12. Milton Burl, Peck's Bad Burl. The day that Milton Burl isn't engaged in half a dozen things at the same time, he'll probably lapse into a nervous breakdown out of sheer boredom. Being just a radio headliner couldn't possibly keep him happy. Burl is a stage star of the first magnitude, primarily in review or musical comedy, but a straight dramatic part doesn't intimidate him. A movie actor, songwriter, play producer, and writer. He is as hard to keep track of once he leaves his home late in the forenoon as a snowflake in a sack of flour. He has an office for his enterprises, but if you ever find him there, set it down as a dull day in which he had nothing to do for half an hour. Even if you locate Burl and pin him down to your own particular business for a while, the chances are that he is juggling three or four other matters around in his head while he's taking care of you, working out a song lyric, thinking up a radio idea, deciding whether to go to Hollywood or appear in a Schubert musical, combining his mental files for a sequence of gags to be used at a benefit performance in a couple of hours. But whatever he is thinking about, Milton's thoughts are never far away from gags. They creep into his conversation almost unbidden. He has few peers, some people claim none, at getting up before a crowd anywhere, anytime, and rattling off a series of rib ticklers on any subjects that scamper through his restless mind. He is a monologuist supreme and unique. Milton's gags come as fast as bullets, no rambling build-ups. His stock in trade is called the one-line joke. Burl is a strong believer in situation comedy, even if he is not its foremost practitioner. He contends that the joke is still an important ingredient of such comedy. Go through the scripts of the best of the situation comedy radio shows, he says, and you'll find them well sprinkled with out-and-out -out gags. Jokes are still the lifeblood of any type of comedy. They've changed in style a little through the years, but they're still there. Milton ought to know whereof he speaks insofar as radio is concerned. He has been at it pretty steadily for almost 15 years and has watched and helped microphone humor develop from its earlier forms. He started out doing guest shots with Rudy Valley and claims to have been the first to do a string of one-line jokes on the air. I started doing that type of monologue on radio when people used to say it couldn't be done, he recalls. They called it suicide. Burl has had a series of air shows through the years. Shell Chateau, Ziegfeld Follies of the Air, The Gillette Community Sing, Stop Me If You've Heard This One, Three Ring Time, and others. Since March 1943, he has been engaged as star of the ever-sharp show Let Yourself Go, which started out as an almost scriptless audience participation thing and has gone through two or three changes in the process of hammering it into a successful program with the aid of writer-producer Hal Block. On January 10, 1945, the program was moved from the Blue Network to CBS. The comedian has a very definite idea of what makes a popular radio program. I don't care what they say, the most important factor is the time element, the hour you're on and whom you're up against, he says. That can make or break any program insofar as the popularity ratings are concerned. 
Contrary to most of the top-notchers, Burl has not let radio dominate his life. He has continued to grow as a stage and movie performer, and an example of the esteem in which he is held on Broadway is that his is the first name ever to get billed atop that magic show title, Zigfield Follies. The Schuberts accorded him that honor in the 1943 Follies, which ran almost 18 months, more than six months longer than any other edition of the Follies had ever lasted in New York. And Burl really carried that show to success on his own shoulders, a Herculean feat for which he started training at an early age. Milton was born July 12, 1908, in a Harlem tenement, one of four sons and a daughter born to Moe and Sarah Burlinger. Not long after Milton's birth, the father became ill and was a semi-invalid most of the rest of his life. This meant that the mother had to support the family, and this she did with a determined energy that is one of Milton's most important heritages. She worked off and on as a detective in Wanamaker's department store. The future comedian started his career informally by imitating Charlie Chaplin around the neighborhood. His mother decided he was cut out for the theater when he won an amateur contest at a theater, and shortly after that she began taking him to the motion picture studios, then centered around New York. He worked pretty consistently in a number of films, including the old Pearl White series, The Perils of Pauline, Marie Dressler's Tilly's Punctured Romance, and others. He played with John Bunny, Ruth Rowland, and Mabel Normand, to name a few of the stars of those days. Another of his pictures was The Mark of Zorro, in which a fellow named Douglas Fairbanks also played. Mrs. Burl put Milty into vaudeville in an act called Melody of Youth, and vaudeville became his career for the next ten years. Mom was with him constantly, battling for more money and better billing, coaching the boy and otherwise furthering his career, which had now turned into the channel of comedy. They played up and down the land almost anywhere it was possible to make a dollar. Milton got his schooling largely through correspondence courses with the Professional Children's School in New York. By the middle 1920s, Milton was making good money, up to $150 a week. He kept going up. All show business knew the fresh Burl kid and anticipated big things for him. In 1931, he got his big chance at New York's Palace Theater, then in its last glory of two-a-day vaudeville. One of the headliners of a new bill became ill shortly before the opening. Burl was hired to fill his place, and he was made. The following year, he had his first role in a Broadway show, Earl Carroll's International Vanities. While he was appearing in the show, he suffered a nose injury that required an operation some eight years later, an operation that contributed not only to his well-being, but also to his appearance. Now, when he keeps his weight under control, he can palm himself off as a reasonably handsome leading man type. But he will beef up occasionally. He likes food. Next to his association with his mom, probably the greatest one-woman clack in history, Milton got the largest amount of his publicity in those first years of Broadway success by fostering a reputation as a gag-stealer. Walter Winchell dubbed him the Thief of Bad Gags. Milton made capital of this situation for a time. One of his cracks was, I listened to Jack Benny on the radio last night. He was so funny that I dropped my pad and pencil. But eventually he wearied of this reputation and earnestly denied that he ever had knowingly stolen jokes from any of his contemporaries. He says it all started as a made-up job between himself and the late Richie Craig, 
and points out that it doesn't stand to reason that a person could build himself into stardom on such a larcenous foundation. Burl keeps a large library of joke material, as do most comedians and comedy writers. He also closely scans current events for topical subjects that can be turned into a laugh. He frequently writes song lyrics and has had several hits, one of them being, You Took Me Out of This World. Not many people know that he also is the author of the hilarious Sam, You Made the Pants Too Long, which another comic has sung to fame. In the winter of 1944-45, he and two others gave birth to a song called, Believe Me, I Wove a Wabbit, I Love a Rabbit, for those who have outgrown their first childhood. Once established on Broadway, Burl was never idle. There were radio shows, nightclub engagements, vaudeville, all at steadily increasing prices until he was making thousands weekly. He had one musical show flop, Saluda, but after that came Life Begins at 8.40 and the first of two follies he has been in. There was a film now and then, and on September 25, 1939, he made his debut in a straight play, a comedy produced by George Abbott and called See My Lawyer. The critics went to scoff, but they came away impressed. You get the real Burl with no holds barred when he's in a musical show. He stops at nothing to get laughs. He is a master at working with specialty acts, acrobats, jugglers, dancers, and will take any amount of mauling around from them so long as it adds to the general hilarity. During those years of the small time, he picked up at least a smattering of almost every kind of routine and this accounts for his versatility. He works with an intensity that keeps fellow players constantly on their toes. As one of his fellow workers in The Last Follies put it, Milton is a perfectionist. Once a bit of business is worked out just the way it should go, he expects it to be played just so every time, even after several hundred performances. If there is the slightest thing different, a second off in the timing, he will be aware of it. He may not realize immediately what was wrong or who was in error, but he'll think back over it until he does find the flaw. Then it is fixed. Burl married beautiful Joyce Matthews, a showgirl, on December 4, 1941 in Beverly Hills, California, while he was there making a film. With his encouragement, she has essayed roles in a couple of plays. Mom, of course, has been taking it easier for several years now, but she is still her son's greatest fan and though he has expert legal advice on business, Milton likes to get a reaction to his projects. After all, she didn't exactly ruin his career. End of chapter 12, Milton Burl, Peck's Bad Burl.